A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikin. Hey, Desi. Hi. How's it going? Pretty great. <laughs> Just kidding. We're hanging in there. Yeah. And we hope all our listeners are too. We are here for you in lockdown. <laughs> yeah. We will be continuing to do this show. Episodes will be continuing to be released. So yeah. hopefully we can bring you guys a bit of entertainment during Hell. all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's start out the show by thanking the Patreon contributors for the past week. This week we had Jamanda, Will, Joanne, Rebecca, Elena, Lisa, Jennifer, Ricky, Emily, Devin, Justine, Barbara, Annie, Jennifer, May, Tammy, Holly, Amanda, Matt, and Eliza. Oh my God, it's Eliza. We know Eliza. Oh, hi, Eliza. It's our friend. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, Yeah, thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it. We're actually going to record some more bonus tonight. Yeah, we so have some. We'll just drop Patreon it all. Episodes. We got a lot of shit to drop. <laughs> we do. We're recording like a bunch of stuff tonight. Yeah. So. so thank you guys. And if you want to check out more stuff on Patreon, there's like a hundred plus episodes of bonus content that you have access to immediately. Yeah. So if you want to look, go ahead. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay. This is part three of our three-part series on Evelyn Nesbitt. So if you have not listened to parts one and two, go back, listen to parts one and two. This is part three. Where we left off last week was that DA Jerome Travers sought to discredit Evelyn Nesbitt's testimony about being raped by Stanford White. She was cross-examined for four days. Damn. As the trial for her husband, Harry Thaw, wrapped up, Judge Fitzgerald told the jurors that Stanford White was not on trial for being a rapist. This trial was about determining the mental state of Harry Thaw. Was he culpable for the murder of Stanford White? On April 12th, 1907, the jurors returned from deliberation. In the courtroom, Evelyn sat by her husband, Harry Thaw. Harry's mother, Mary, was also present, and she was wearing a veil over her face. Oh. Just as we nailed it, we nailed it, we nailed that look. We knew she was a veil lady. Look, if you're is she Catholic or just religious? I can't remember. She was very religious, I'm pretty sure she was Catholic, yeah. Very religious woman. The clerk asked the jurors if they had reached a verdict, they had not. Oh, they were hopelessly deadlocked. So the second trial began the following January in 1908. Harry had remained in prison for nearly two years. Damn. Now, this time, the defense sought to prove that Harry Thaw had a history of mental illness. Finally, they're like, all right, let's go with that insanity defense. Let's, like, go... Right. Let's really lean into it. Let's get some people here to testify to uh, our clients. So he was initially against that, Right, he didn't want people to think that he had a history of mental illness. He only wanted people to think that he had a snapped, sudden, like yes, yeah. that it was a sudden spark of insanity. It was yeah. totally temporary. 
Okay. He wanted that. Now he's like, fuck this. Right. And <laughs> Harry and Harry's mom had been pushing uh for them to like call in their own psychiatrists okay. and all this stuff. I mean, they had the money. Yeah, they had a ton of money. So Harry's mother, Mary, testified to her son's longtime troubles. Mary also cited a familial history of mental illness. Mr. Littleton, Harry's lawyer, asserted that Harry had attempted suicide in 1904 while he was in Paris with Evelyn. They even had the doctor who had cared for him to come testify after he had ingested poison that night. Damn. Evelyn Nesbitt testified again for the second trial. She retold her testimony from the first trial about all the awful events regarding her relationship with Stanford White and of the assault. And though her testimony remained the same as from before, District Attorney Jerome Travers once again tried to poke poke holes in her story. So this is like she's having to relive this awful testimony all over again and the press surrounding it. The only difference to her testimony this time were the added details of Harry's mental illness. So now she was asked to testify to examples of where show that your husband had a history of illness. The interesting thing to me is that does it really matter if her story is true or not? Because if she told her husband that, it doesn't matter because he would have thought it was true. Do you know what I mean? Like proving that she was lying about it doesn't mean that her husband didn't believe her. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, I get that they're just trying to like blow up the whole case. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think it means that he didn't hear something and snap still. I don't know. Yeah, I think they were just trying to say these these two were liars. Yeah. In general about right. everything and that this was a plot to And that she made up that story after the fact as a reason. Yes. Yeah. Like to ruin Stanford White because they had this grudge against each other. So that was their whole like motive that he had some weird grudge yes. unrelated to his wife. Yeah. Okay. Um, and also just that was it, even if it was true, was it justified? Yes. She told the courts that Harry was prone to bouts of depression and suicidal ideation, and that his mental state was particularly fragile concerning matters relating to Stanford White. Not only the fact that Stanford had raped Evelyn, but he was also distressed over how he believed that Stanford was out to ruin him. Dr. Charles Wagner testified that Harry Thaw suffered from, quote, manic depressive insanity. He said that at the time of the murder, Harry did not know right from wrong. Two additional doctors testified that Harry had been insane at the time of the murder and that he had been suffering mental illness his whole life. During cross-examination, Jerome Travers countered the doctors that in the first trial, they previously testified that Harry Thaw had only experienced temporary insanity, which occurred on the night of the murder. The prosecution offered no expert witnesses of their own, however. In fact, he moved to close right after the cross-examination. In his closing statement, defense attorney Martin Littleton charged that the prosecution was unable to prove that Harry was of sound mind as they were unable to produce their own doctors to testify for them. Hmm. Jerome Travers asked the jury how Harry had managed to have a meal and play cards the day before the the day of the murder if he was insane. He was like, would Charles Schwab, because he was like with (laughs) Charles Schwab playing cards earlier that day. He was like, would Charles Schwab play cards with a madman? I mean, Charles Schwab. He might. That's wild to me that they didn't present other psychiatrists. No. That's crazy. They did not. I mean, that's like the whole thing, the whole case. They did not have their own psychiatrists. So 
he um, asked the court why the defense hadn't called these friends that Harry was with to testify to his insanity then. Yeah. So Jerome Travers then told the court that Stanford raping Harry's wife and spreading vicious rumors about him around town was really just motive for him to murder him. He's like, that's not... He doesn't need to have a history of insanity. That's a motive. Oh, that that's shows true. that he had motive to murder. Yeah. But the jury returned a verdict of not guilty by reason of insanity. Ooh. The judge ordered Harry to be sent to Madowin State Hospital for the criminally insane. And Harry was bummed because he's a rich kid and he wanted to be sent to a fancy private hospital. Yeah. But they wanted to make an example out of him or like, we're sending you to the public place. Yeah. That's from the turn of the century and is really scary. Yeah. We're going to make movies set in places like this that are horror films. Right. We know all about these (laughs) kinds of hospitals from horror movies. Oh, my gosh. They're all abandoned now. Yeah. And we, you know. Frightening. They're scary. And this was that definitely that kind of hospital. And so Harry was pissed. He said to his lawyers, you guys never told me that I would have to be sent to Madawin. Yeah. He's like, well, I thought we, we was going to go to a private hospital. Like a sanitarium. Yeah. A spa. <laughs> he thought he was going to the spa. Evelyn tearfully said goodbye to her husband as he was escorted away. Madawin was overcrowded and the staff was overworked. Oh. The facilities were subpar, like I just said. Yeah. There were many violent inmates at the hospital who were prone to fighting, and also much of the staff were very abusive to these inmates Uh, and not providing their best care. Harry was held in Ward 1 with 57 other inmates. When Evelyn came to visit her husband, she was beside herself at the conditions of the hospital. She told the press that it was unfair that Harry was confined here. Mary Thaw was also like, how dare you send my boy here? And she told reporters that her son should absolutely be in a private hospital. Meanwhile, Harry's defense team was working to secure their client's release. They were looking to get a statement from the asylum declaring his sanity had returned. So then they could just let him out. Yeah. And that I was curious, like, how does he get out of there? It was, he was sentenced to the, to the hospital with the determination from the hospital. That he's cured, When basically. he's ready to yeah. come out. Okay. So... His lawyers at this point are basically like, "All right, let's speed it up. Let's let's get him out yeah. now. Let's let's prove that he's sane now, whether or not he's only in there for a week, and then the whole fucking thing's over. That's yeah. the end of it." Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, "What the." F- are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. 
With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates, go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. They thought they had a good chance to do this because just a few years prior, a stockbroker who was imprisoned at Madawin for shooting a man was released after just five weeks on the grounds that he had returned to sanity. Oh. So they were looking to this other case. Yeah, to as try a and, precedent. Yes. The hospital superintendent, Robert Lamb, was wary about releasing Harry Thaw. He wanted to make an example that no one could buy their way out of this. The last thing he wanted was for the public to believe that he was bribed. In April, Harry's defense team applied for a writ of habeas corpus and a hearing to prove Harry's return sanity. This was allowed the following month, this new hearing. Okay. The chief medical advisor, Amos Baker, testified that Harry Thaw's behavior at the asylum was not that of a sane man. He cited the time that Harry had ordered 200 chocolate eclairs from a local bakery. Yum. To the hospital? Yeah. For all his friends? Uh, I mean, that seems very sane to me. I agree. Yeah. Who doesn't, who wouldn't be excited about a delivery of 200 eclairs? Yeah. And I'm sure he's sharing because you can't possibly eat that many, he right? He said that Harry alleged they were for the staff, but he's calling this insane behavior. This sounds like the most sane behavior I've heard from him so far. He's trying to make le- lemonade out of lemons. <laughs> he's trying to make it better there, right? I mean. Yeah. I I don't I think that's a weird I don't think that means he's insane. It wasn't like he ordered two hundred tires or something like <laughs> eclairs. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, who doesn't want an eclair? That Everyone seems wants smart an eclair. To me. He also said that Harry had been caught smoking cigars, which was not allowed. Again. Not sa- insane though. Not an insane thing. Okay. Let me just pause here for a sec. Okay. We got an email from someone who thought we were defending Harry Thaw in the last two episodes just as a human being. I want to make it clear that this episode, let it let me state Harry Thaw's canceled. 
Okay? And you will learn why by the end of this episode. Okay. We are not Harry Thaw Stans. I really but we don't care that he kill, killed Stanford, necessarily. We don't care that he killed Stanford, and I don't care that he ordered 200 eclairs to the right. hospital. And in my defense, I don't really know what's bad about him yet. <laughs> well, I just hope that we weren't putting that out there, that we were like big Harry Thaw stands. No. We just I said, don't stand anybody. We, no. We don't, <laughs> we don't, the, look, we know who the victims are in this story, and it's the young women who were preyed upon by all these old men. Right. Okay, I just wanted to make that clear. Okay. But I don't have a problem with anyone ordering chocolate eclairs. No. Okay, so the judge ruled that Harry would remain incarcerated in the hospital after this testimony from Amos Baker, the doctor. Okay. By this point, Mary Thaw was adamant that her son divorce Evelyn Nesbitt. She Mm -hmm. believed that none of this would have ever happened if he hadn't met her. I mean, that's true. But he probably would have had some other meltdown with somebody else. Possibly. Eventually. Right, yeah. He, he doesn't seem like he's the most, he handles things. This was definitely an extreme circumstance, for sure. It was definitely a lot of things were in place for this to happen, yeah. but... He was probably bound to have something happen with that kind yeah. of uh, anger problem. I agree. Mary Thaw hired private detectives to shadow Evelyn, and the papers ruminated that Evelyn had been seen around town with another man. Soon Harry became resentful of his wife, and he cut her off financially. Evelyn filed an annulment suit asking for a $15,000 payout followed by annual payouts of $12,000. But when Mary sent her a check, the bank said that there were insufficient funds. So she was furious. She's like, how dare you send me a fucking bad check? You guys are multimillionaires. Like, go fuck yourself. I'm canceling the annulment, and I'm still his wife. Like, I tried to bow out of this gracefully, like you give yeah. me some money. So Harry had also stopped paying for her, for their home on Park Avenue, so Evelyn had to move into a studio. So her life is like changing rapidly at this point. In the summer of 1909, Evelyn Nesbitt was subpoenaed to testify for the state against her husband in this second hearing. Mary Thaw sat in the courtroom, and she was furious that her daughter-in-law would be testifying against her son. Oh, maybe you should have uh, got her a good check. <laughs> like, how stupid are they? Like, they need her to defend the guy still. Yeah. You know what I mean? In some way. Right. But at this point, she didn't want to testify against Harry, but she was like, she was uh, being threatened of being held in contempt. Right. But what what was the testimony like that was against him? They were able to discover some information. Oh, okay. About Harry Thaw and Evelyn. That was never brought up before. That was never brought up before. Got it. And we're going to talk about what that is. Okay. Deputy Attorney General Roger Clark pressed Evelyn about her first meeting with Harry Thaw at the asylum. He asked her if her husband had threatened to kill her. Evelyn said she didn't want to answer. She pleaded with the judge not to answer, but he ordered her to. She told the court that he did threaten to kill her. She said that Harry said, quote, When I get out of here, I suppose I shall have to kill you next. Harry's lawyer countered Evelyn's statement by presenting her with a series of letters that she had written her husband after she claimed he had threatened her life. He tried to discredit her by asking her why she had sent all these affectionate letters to him if she was really afraid of him. Right. Which we know there are many reasons. Yeah. There's reasons for that. Do we know why he threatened her? 
uh, he's not a well man. But there was no reason, even if it's a stupid one? uh, I think it had to do with like, you know, if you go against me, if you... So he was already worried that she might go against him. Yes, because Uh as we're going to learn, Harry Thaw had a lot more skeletons in his closet than we previously knew about. Ooh, okay. So I think he wanted to not have stuff get out about him. So he was threatening her in advance, sort of. Yes. Uh Okay. Harry Thaw told the press that he had always taken care of Evelyn financially and that she was a reckless spender. Mm. On July 28th, a woman named Susan Merrill testified against Harry. Susan had rented rooms to Harry at her property in Manhattan back in 1903. She said that Harry told her that he would be using the rooms to meet aspiring actresses from around the country looking for auditions and a connection to the theater world. Oh. Susan testified that she saw Harry bring in as many as 200 girls as young as 15 years <sighs> old back to these rooms during the time that he was renting them. Susan said that one time she heard screams coming from one of the rooms, and when she rushed up to see what was going on, she found Harry whipping a young girl <gasps> with a horse whip. Oh, my God. It looks like the rumors were true. Wow. But what was his connection to the theater world? <laughs> like, there wasn't even really one. Well, he, he wasn't was rich. But yeah, he wasn't like a director or a producer, so he no. was just kind of like lying he's yeah a, he's a rich guy he's a man about town yeah and these women who were coming in so from, he saw like a scheme basically yeah yeah like these are young women who are coming in from new york from like small towns yeah. elsewhere and they don't he know an anybody yeah and he's presenting them with an opportunity supposedly to like audition quote unquote for him or to be uh, you know, scouted by him right. to be recommended to his friends at the theater. Right. Because he did have connections to yeah. the theater like every other wealthy person. Because he just knew other wealthy people who happened to be theater people. Maybe. Exactly. Um, so w- was that the specific rumor that, that Stanford White was telling about him? Yes. That was one of them. Okay. Yes. District Attorney Jerome Travers presented the very whip in court. <gasps> they had the whip. Damn. I don't know how they got this whip, but they had it, Desi. It was three feet long with an ivory handle and gold filigree. So Ooh, this was like... That's a, like a high-end whip. This was a very fancy horse whip. And Damn. he had other whips, too. Some I, of them, I wonder if he left the apartment and like left shit behind and the landlord might got have. <laughs> I mean, Damn. he probably thought, I'm so rich and wealthy and connected, I'm untouchable. He's not yes. caring about leaving behind yeah. evidence and... I heard that there was like a jewel-encrusted whip, too. Ooh, nice. So these were like very fancy whips. Susan confirmed that this was the whip that he had used. She then said that he had other whips, three or four others, that (sighs) she had also seen. Susan said that she yelled at Harry and asked him what the fuck he was doing when she caught him. Yeah. He said he was trying to teach this girl how to behave. She kicked his ass out of the apartment. She's like, you can't rent rooms here anymore. But Susan said that Harry told her that he would pay the girl and promised to never do it again. Hmm. So those rumors that Harry was paying young girls to shut up, yeah, also true. true. So she agreed because she believed him. But of course, it happened again. Susan caught him whipping another girl. Susan told the court that she witnessed at least three different girls get whipped by Harry. 
But she kept giving him chances. She kept being like, well, you better not do it again, Yeah, Harry. Fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> he fooled her at least three or four times. Damn. I mean, I'm sure he, like, threatened her with... I mean, who knows what he threatened her with or if she was... Right. Whatever. I mean, come on, Susan. Yeah. It's going to happen. It's going to keep happening. Yeah. When Susan asked him why he was doing what he was doing, he said, quote, they've been bad girls and they weren't... And that they weren't smart and that he had to beat them to teach them something. He said that he couldn't make the girls learn stage work proper, stage work properly otherwise. Oh. He was like trying to make it like this was a theater exercise. This is how it is in the theater, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you ever heard of the whip technique, Susan? I need these props now. <laughs> like what? Under cross-examination, Harry's attorney asked Susan why she kept allowing Harry to rent the rooms at her home. Yeah. She said that he kept promising her that he would be good. Ugh. She also said that he threatened to kill her. Oh. So now there is a pattern of this guy threatening, threatening to kill women, people. Yeah. Yes. Okay. The chief hospital doctor, Amos Baker, testified again to Harry's shitty behavior. He said that he had called members of his staff idiots and donkeys, and that he was just in general very uncooperative and a sick inmate. Damn. At the hospital. Donkeys. He's like, <laughs> he called us idiots and, don- and donkeys. How dare you? I wonder if it was asses, but he like, Cleaned it up. <laughs> this was in the new, this was a quote in the newspaper. Oh, okay, so maybe it was asses. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> donkeys redacted. <laughs> I like donkeys. I think donkeys is more insulting. Yeah, yeah, it is. In the end, Harry's freedom was denied, and he continued his incarceration at the hospital for the next couple of years. Evelyn stayed out of the press. She was rumored to have been traveling throughout Europe. In 1912, it was revealed that she had a two-year-old son. Oh. She gave birth to Russell in 1910 in Berlin, and Evelyn said that the father was Harry Thaw, and that she had gotten impregnated during a conjugal visit. At the hospital? At the hospital. Ooh. Harry rejected the claim that Russell was his son and said that Evelyn was just after more of his money. He's like, that's not my son, and you can't prove it. And you know what? You couldn't prove it back then. (laughs) But you couldn't prove it wasn't. But you couldn't prove it wasn't. Yeah. And he definitely... And they were married still, right? They were still married. So I feel like that's like legally his son probably back then or something. I Maybe. You know what I mean? He definitely tried to slut shame her about this. Like who knows how many other guys she's been gallivanting right. with in Europe. She was rumored to be with this duke or whatever. You know, like... But some, there was a record of them having conjugal visits probably, right? Uh, Yeah. I mean... I. He did try to deny that, like, I couldn't have conjugal visits at this time. Yeah. But, I mean, it's pretty understood that Russell Thaw was his son. Yeah. Okay. Even though he always denied it, he never accepted him as his son. Oh, that's sad. Now, in uh, at this point, they are, like, fully, even though they're still legally married, they're fully, like, on estranged the yeah. from each other. In June of 1912, Evelyn testified against Harry at a new hearing in his latest attempt to be released from the hospital. So Harry and his lawyers have been for years now trying to get out. Now, isn't there like a like a legal thing where you aren't you can't be forced to testify against your husband or is this not for a criminal like for a mental Well, uh I I don't know the exact rules of it for in this circumstance right. because she definitely did not want to testify before because yeah. she was afraid of him. 
Right. Not, and she tried to use that, like, a, can I not testify he's my husband? And they're like, no, you've been subpoenaed. You have to testify. Right. I mean, I thought there was something where you couldn't be forced to testify against your husband. But maybe it's a newer thing. You can yeah. add us. Please add us. Please add replies. This is how it went down yeah. here in 1912. This is how it was going down. So Evelyn told the court that Harry had asked her to make a suicide pact with him in 1904 when what? they were at their hotel room in Paris. Yes, oh. this is like new information coming out. She testified to his moodiness and to his tantrums. Evelyn described the drawings that her husband would make of himself whipping naked women. Ugh. So she was like, He's yeah. like a villain. I would just like to tell that listener that I had no idea. I'm telling you, look, I was trying to build an exciting plot twist. Right. I mean, if you didn't read about this, you would have never known. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I had no idea. Who, right. I have no, no, know nothing about this story. Now, to be fair, there's nothing wrong with drawing horny pictures. We're just establishing. It's all together, though. We're establishing yeah. a pattern of who this guy is, and he's drawing himself Picture he's drawing images of himself harming women, and none of this is consensual. Exactly. Yeah. People. Yeah. If this this is, is not shaming anything. You know what? These activities, if they're consensual, very fun activities. Love it. For people. I would love to have a whip with a <laughs> bejeweled handle. <laughs> At this point, Evelyn was through with being under the control of wealthy men, and this was like her final fuck you. Right. Basically. Yeah. She was like, you know what? I have nothing left to lose. My name has already been dragged through the mud in all the papers. Everyone knows my most awful, dark secrets about my life. I'm done with this. Yeah. So fuck you. I'm spilling all the beans in my testimony about what this man was actually like during our marriage. I'm not afraid of him or the Thaw family anymore. Yeah. And to her, it just didn't matter if she was financially insecure so long as she could have her own sense of self and her own path and yeah. have her career on her own terms. She's having like a many feminist moment here. Yeah. And, you know, she's only like 21. I know. At she's this so point. young still. Yeah. Once again, Harry's bid for freedom was rejected by the court. And in August of 1913, Harry Thaw escaped from the Madawin State <gasps> Hospital. Damn. He slipped through the gate as the milk delivery truck pulled up. <laughs> doop, doop, boop, boop. <laughs> that's actually a direct quote from the sound that was played. Yeah. That w- that's a direct recording of the sound that happened. Yeah, I can picture this silent film scene exactly how it happened. Like, there's just no way. I know exactly. I could film it if I had the equipment. <laughs> I know exactly what the milk truck driver looks like. He's like hiding behind those big tin milk containers. Yeah. And he's like waddling out like a penguin, like Charlie Chaplin. Oh my God. He had a car waiting for him outside of the hospital. So he like ran down the hill to this car. So he had some kind of assistance with this. He had assistance in place to facilitate this escape. So he meets... The car that's waiting for him outside. There's two guys in the car. There's the driver and there's the guy in the passenger seat. The guy in the passenger seat was a man from Hell's Kitchen named Richard Butler, and he was part of a gang known as the Gophers. Not a very intimidating gang. Name. Not very cute sounding. The yeah. Gophers sounds. Although like a, sometimes those like most evil gangs have like a cuter name. Maybe. Right. I mean, this so, sounds yeah. like a little league. Yeah. The Gophers. We're the Gophers. Yeah. It's like the little ramshackle team that yeah. no one believes in. Yeah. But they're they all win. like latchkey kids. 
That's that's who the gophers are. So Richard Butler was known for being a fixer. Ooh. And he had the driver was named Roger. I don't know Roger's (laughs) story, but his name was Roger. Okay. In case you cared. (laughs) Roger the driver. (laughs) The plan was to travel to Canada through a remote area of Vermont where there were no border checkpoints. They would then... They would have to abandon their luxury vehicle before entering the smaller town so as not to attract any attention. So they made the final legs of their journey by train. Okay. So they're on a train now, and while they're on this train, a police officer got on board. He was reading the news. <laughs> this is also a scene no, from a movie. Debbie, you don't even know. You don't even know. The police officer got on board this train as Harry Thaw is on the train And the police officer was reading the newspaper when all of a sudden he glanced up and saw Harry. And the police officer said, hey, I know you. And then he pointed to his picture in the paper. (laughs) And Harry, as brazen as ever, said, yeah, but you can't do anything about it because we're not in New York anymore. Oh. And the officer said, yeah, I guess not. (laughs) And that was that. (laughs) So... The officer did, like, after Harry had gotten off the train, yeah. the officer did, like, try to pursue it further, but was unable to, because it was like... I feel like he just gave up, quite honestly. You <laughs> was, know what? He, he didn't have his heart in it. He was like, uh, is it worth it? <laughs> I don't care enough. Who fucking cares? I'm tired. <laughs> so Harry made it safely to a small town in Quebec. Mary Thaw was thrilled that her son was able to escape, but she denied having any involvement in arranging for this escape. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Evelyn Nesbitt, on the other hand, was afraid for her life. Yes. She was afraid that Harry would come after her and kill her. Harry Thaw's lawyers argued that because Harry had not been convicted of a crime, he had only been declared insane that he was immune to the extradition under the oh, law. Oh, interesting. So that's what they're trying to argue. Like, he's technically not a convict. He's just... Right. He's insane, and he's an escaped mental yeah, patient. it's like a loophole or something. Right. But eventually he was extradited back to New York in late 1914 for a new trial to determine his sanity... And he was declared sane and set free the following year. Oh, okay. After hearing the verdict, Evelyn told the New York Tribune in July of 1915, quote, All I ask of him is that he leave me in peace to continue my stage career. I do not want his name and I do not want his money. Harry and Evelyn had become officially divorced around this time. Here's a crazy story, Desi. Okay. In the fall of 1915... Harry Thaw met 19-year-old Fred Gump at an ice cream shop in Long Beach, California, while the young man was visiting with his parents from Kansas City. The two got to talking, and Fred had expressed interest in going to engineering school. Harry said that he could get him into the Carnegie Institute of Pittsburgh. The two began a correspondence after that. Harry offered to send Fred money and to pay for his schooling. He said he would even give Fred a weekly allowance. Fred's parents saw nothing wrong with this older man taking a sudden interest in their son and accepted his offer to help. Fred Gump traveled to New York to meet Harry and they saw a play together. Afterwards, they went back to Harry's suite at the Hotel McAlpin, which was a luxury hotel on Broadway. When they got to the room on the 18th floor, 
Harry suggested that Fred take a bath as he must have been tired from traveling. After he was done bathing, Fred emerged from the tub naked and Harry flung open the bathroom door. He lunged at Fred and began beating him with a whip. What? He said, you are my slave now and you will obey me. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Wait, how old is Fred Gump at this point? He's 19. 19. And how old is Harry? He's like in his 40s. Okay. I think, or in his 30s. Yeah, I think he's still in his... They're so young when this all started. It's like, yeah. Because Harry met Evelyn when he was 31. Okay. And this is 1917. Okay. So So he's probably in his 40s, early 40s. He might be late 30s, early 40s. Fred Gump managed to escape the next morning. Like, he had to stay in that hotel room with this man who was assaulting him all night, but he was able to slip out in the morning, and he made it back to Kansas City. And when he did get back to his home, he showed his parents the injuries that he had sustained, which were these big red welts all over his torso and shoulders. Did he just physically beat him? He whipped him all night. Okay. Fred and his parents hired a lawyer and went to New York where his injuries were photographed by the police. Harry had already checked out of the hotel and was on the lam again. He He was said to have escaped to Philadelphia and police were now searching across the city for him. The news of Fred Gump's assault at the hands of Harry Thaw had already made the papers. Harry, meanwhile, was hiding out in a boarding house in Philadelphia under an assumed name. On the morning of January 12th, Harry entered the bathroom where he picked up a straight razor sitting on the sink and he cut his wrist twice, first a small cut near his hand, and then he cut a very deep, long cut down his forearm. He then slashed his own throat. (sighs) The landlady found him, and he was still alive, and a doctor was called. Somehow he miraculously survived this. Dude. At this point, Mary Thaw was finally convinced of her son's sickness, that something was wrong with something was wrong with her son she finally got there (laughs) she finally got there and she said you know what i'm not even gonna try and argue with this yeah anymore my son is sick yeah um so she told the press she no longer considered her son sane and that the best thing for him and for others was for him to be locked away in a hospital So Harry was sent to the Pennsylvania Hospital for the Insane, which was a private hospital and a far cry from where he was before. So this time he was at a very plush place for rich people. Harry was never prosecuted for his assault on Fred Gump, but the Thaw family did reach an out-of-court financial settlement for this family. Okay. Meanwhile, Evelyn Nesbitt's vaudeville career was blowing up. In 1913, she began touring with Jack Clifford. The two entered a relationship and were married in 1916, but the marriage was short-lived as Jack cheated on Evelyn with two different women. (sighs) Evelyn continued her work as an actress and began moving into film. She appeared in her first film, Threads of Destiny, in 1914, but it was in 1917 when she landed her first starring role in the film Redemption. Her son, Russell, acted alongside her, playing her son, in a film which was loosely based around her own life and scandals. Ooh. Now, I looked for this film, and on Wikipedia it said it was a lost film. Okay. I could not find it anywhere. I couldn't even find clips of it on YouTube. Someone get us this film. Yeah. (laughs) I would love to see it. Evelyn continued to make films up until 1922. And although... 
at this time during her film career, you know, it was short-lived, but during this career, she had finally managed to detach her image from all the poisonous men in her life. Oh, good. All the news stories that were printed about her then, they weren't... About her about ro- romantic life about or whatever. About toxic yeah. relationships with these guys. Now, the main thing that contributed to the end of her film career was her drug addiction. Uh- In 1919, she started taking morphine. She was first given an injection by a dancer in Ziegfeld Follies. And during the filming of My Little Sister, Evelyn got hooked on cocaine. The fortune that Evelyn had amassed during her film career was eaten up by her drug addiction. She opened up about her addiction in the Washington Times in 1922. She said that she had beaten her habit, and then she went on to describe the drug scene in Hollywood. This is a quote from that interview. Why, I remember one party in Hollywood where cocaine was served in a big sugar bowl. (laughs) Pass the sugar, somebody, we would all remark every few minutes, and we all laughed at the big joke. (laughs) She then went on to say, quote, It cost me $100,000 to be a drug fiend just in cash alone, and it cost me my friends, my self-respect, and everything. I mean, that sounds... Exactly like an 80s, 90s drug PSA. Yeah. It yeah. Costs, you, costs you your friends. Yeah. Costs you your self-respect. <laughs> totally. Your self-esteem. Everything. Don't smoke pot even once. It's totally a PSA. She was an early drug PSA. I learned it from you, dad. <laughs> Evelyn said that she spent the next eight months under the care of a doctor and that she was now clean. Harry Thaw was released from the hospital in 1924 and continued to earn a ton of money through his family's businesses and trusts. Oh, so he got released again. He got released again, and he never went back Did to he the have hospital. other incidents? No. Or, okay. He just lived this very privileged life right. until he died. Evelyn and her son Russell, they struggled financially, but there was no way for her to prove that Harry was the father. Okay. Harry lived a very comfortable life. He spent time between Europe and his multiple homes in the States, and then he died in 1947 at the age of 76. Okay. Evelyn continued to appear at smaller and smaller venues where she performed as a singer. Okay. She spent summers performing in Atlantic City to very shitty pay while she endured predatory nightclub owners. In 1926, she attempted suicide by drinking disinfectant. Ugh. By the 30s, Evelyn was performing at dive bars in less-than-glamorous neighborhoods in New York City. Her final performance was in 1938 when she was, like, 52 years old at a place called Ye Olde Tap Room. Oh, boy. So that's the kind of establishment that she was performing at at that point. Her son Russell went on to become a commercial pilot, and after World War II, him and his wife moved to Los Angeles. Evelyn moved out there, too, in 1952, where she spent her time teaching ceramics and hanging out with her three cats. Nice. Now, <laughs> I saw the names of her cats. They were called this. Weirdy, Ali Khan, and Stumpy. <laughs> so I wonder if Stumpy was a three-legged cat. I bet, right? Could be. Yeah. But she was a cat lady, confirmed cat lady. I saw the picture you posted today and got excited. Yeah. With a tuxedo. Yeah. Yeah. I posted a picture of Evelyn Nesbitt from 1901, so when she was still a teenager, but she has a cat. 
with her. She's a lifelong cat lady. She is because that cat was not a prop cat. That was yeah. like that was her cat because I looked there were other photo other photo shoots of her with this very same cat. Isn't it weird when you see an oldie timey photo of a cat? I don't know why it freaks me out. I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> yeah, it's like so wild cuz they kind of just look like how they still look. <laughs> Not that they would look different, but yeah, because cats are timeless. They don't have like a specific pose or look, right? That- well, like the the people are in a age specific costume or an era specific costume. So right. just like then there's just this cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they still make the same dumb cat faces. Yeah, especially like tuxedos. To me, I've decided are like the most berserk cats for some reason, and I love them. But there's just something about their faces. They always look a little wild. <laughs> So, yeah, Evelyn was a cat lady. Love that about her. In 1955, Evelyn gained some fame again when the film The Girl in the Red Velvet Swing was released. The film was a dramatization about the events surrounding Evelyn, Stanford White, and Harry Thaw and the trial of the century, and it starred Joan Collins as Evelyn. I watched the trailer for this movie, yeah. and it looks fucking incredible. I want to see it. I saw some stills, but I didn't get to the trailer. It looks so good, Yeah, Desi. I want to read it. I, I'm sorry. I see it. The, the costumes in it are great. I saw the picture of her like on the swing. <laughs> it looks so good. Yeah, it's I'm, right up my I'm alley. I'm going to watch it this weekend. Okay. Evelyn was paid $30,000 for her work as a consultant on the film. Huh? Evelyn died with no money in 1967 at the age of 81 in a nursing home in Santa Monica. Evelyn's grandson, also named Russell, went on to become an attorney in Van Nuys. He was quoted in an L.A. Times article by Cecilia Rasmussen uh, from 2005 as saying, quote, she, she was just my grandmother, a strong-willed woman passionate about her art and cats. She lived a bohemian life and cared little what society thought. He called his grandfather Harry Thaw, quote, a real weirdo whose needle was not pointing north. <laughs> Were there was his last name Thaw? Yeah, his last name is Thaw. Okay, and I'm just so shocked that he didn't ever have to claim him as his son. That's wild to me. No. Yeah. Russell then went on to say that after the divorce, Evelyn received $25,000 from the Thaw family, but that she couldn't keep the money, so she turned around and she gave all of it to anarchist icon Emma Goldman. <laughs> How awesome is that? Amazing. I mean, I love that little tidbit. Yeah. That is like my favorite tidbit from the story. Yeah. He, Russell, basically, he like, he said that he learned of all of this, all this information about his grandmother after she died. Like he had no idea that there was this huge, wild scandal involving her in this, this murder case right. and, and, and these horrible predatory older men. And so he finds all of this out in 1967 after she dies and um and he thought I thought was interesting one thing he said in that Times article was that he thought the reason that Stanford White sent her to the girls school do you remember way yes, back in episode yeah. 1 or like not the reason he sent her to the girls school but the reason that she had like the appendicitis that she had oh, he right. was like I don't think it was appendicitis I think it was an abortion that she was having oh. that Stanford had gotten her yeah, pregnant that makes sense so he started really digging into her his grandmother's past did After he write a book? Died. I don't know. I feel like I'd that would be a good book. I did not do enough digging on uh, Russell Jr., right. Russell Thaw Jr., uh, but 
I mean, he was very interested in like the history of his grandma's life. Right. After the, I'm just wondering if fact. he had access to information that no one had, but maybe he doesn't. I mean, maybe he did write a book. I just didn't get that yeah. far into it. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the conclusion of the story. Dude, I have to say, I was like, what is part three going to be? The trial is over. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I had no idea. But do you see how it was like, I cannot fit this into one episode. Oh my God, I can't even fit this into two episodes. Yeah, because I had no, I had only knew the story of the murder and I didn't even know that a hundred percent. I had just heard about that murder. Right. Uh, and I had always been under the impression that Thaw was like, whatever, maybe not the best guy, but like a, a normal guy, like, do you know what I mean? Like I, I had no idea he yeah. was awful too. Yeah. Yeah, all of these men in her life at that time were pretty bad. Yeah, like that's taking wild. advantage of all these girls, and it's like, Ugh. yeah. I'm glad that she had a nice little quiet life at the end with her cats. I do too. I and feel like she, that she wanted that. I think yeah. like that was good for her. I think she died surrounded by people that she loved, you know, like she had a family in Los Angeles. Yeah. She wasn't like living high on the hog financially. But she had enough. But she was free. Yeah. She wasn't under the thumb of some abusive shithead. Right. You know? Yeah. And yeah, she was with her cats making pottery and shit. That's, That's honestly so the dream. I do I did look up her I did look up like an older picture of her and I think I saw her with like the pottery. Yeah, that's uh-huh. her. That's yeah. that picture. I'm yeah. going to post that picture. I have another uh, great picture of her with Joan Collins from 1955 when Evelyn's an older woman at that point. It's a great photo of them together. So keep an eye out on our Instagram. I'll be posting a lot of pictures this week. Okay. And yeah, that's that's the the the, the conclusion. Finally. Finally. <laughs> Can't wait for next week. Can't wait to have a week off now. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.